Thanks for tuning in to the Westbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. We'd love for you to check out our website, westbridgedanville.com, for additional resources. Here's today's message by Pastor Kyle Fox. Well, good morning, uh, Westbridge. If you don't know, my name is Kyle Fox. I serve as the student pastor here. It is a great joy and privilege uh, on behalf of Abby and I uh, to, to be able to do that. And so we're really thankful uh, for, for this church family. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and open with me to the book of Job. To the book of Job. Uh, it looks like Job, but it is pronounced Job. It's right before uh, the Psalms in the Old Testament, about a quarter of the way in. Um, if I'm just being really transparent with you, I, I really went back and forth on how to start this whole thing, uh, because uh, if you're familiar with the story of Job, then you know where we're headed, okay? Uh, I wanted to do something a little more lighthearted uh, to kind of get us into uh, our time this morning, uh, but as you'll find out, the, the topic that I have been given to talk about this morning is the topic of the evil day. I, I don't know how to really make that lighthearted. And so, uh, because of that, I'm just putting all my cards on the table, uh, that this is going to just be a heavier morning overall. Not a morning, not without hope, uh, but a morning uh, that, again, if you're, if you're familiar with the story of Job, then you, you know what we're about to uh, get into. If, you are, uh, if you've just joined us, what we've been doing over the course of the last few weeks is, is really... Um, doing this core work where we've been looking at the trials, at the difficulties that enter into our lives and, and, and really try to make sense of them. And so we've talked about testing uh, of the Lord. We've, we've talked about pruning from the Lord and, and the discipline of the Lord. And, and the topic, as I mentioned, that we're covering this morning is that of the evil day. It's the, it's the fourth quadrant. If you'll remember from last week, John gave an analogy that it's almost like we've been looking at uh, a hurricane and week one was kind of category one like hurricane. And so if you're doing the math, that means we're on week four and category four hurricanes uh, usually cause uh, some destruction. So that's what we're getting into today. Okay, you guys ready? All right, excellent, good. Um, there are times in your life that the suffering that happens will not be immediately tied to the Lord's pruning in your life, though he may be doing that. It may not be easily traced to the Lord's discipline in your life, though he may be doing that. See, the New, the New Testament authors will, will use this phrase in Ephesians 6 and throughout the course of the New Testament that describes the day that you and I live in as this present evil and wicked day. I don't think I need to do a lot of uh, proving that the world that you and I live in is broken, right? Like we can just go through the headlines of, of this last week and do that. You and I, we, we know that the world is broken. But, but what about when that brokenness enters into your home? What, what about when that brokenness enters into your family, into your children's lives? When it, when it feels like the darkness and evil are winning 
how will you respond? There are a few things that I can say with greater confidence than the reality that you and I will suffer. Disease, loss, disappointment, death. Suffering is a reality for all of us. And and when you suffer, it is instinctive in us to ask the question, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? And this question of why lingers in our hearts and minds. And as I look out in this room, I, like, I can tell you of, of stories of suffering in, in your lives. I, I don't have to tell you of those stories because you know them. And, and some of the ways that, that you have suffered feel unimaginable to me. But, but isn't that the reality that, that we live in? That, that this week... There's not a single one of us in this this room who could not receive a phone call, who couldn't walk into a doctor's appointment and receive a diagnosis, receive a word that flips our world upside down. I'm not trying to depress us. You're like, hey, I've had a pretty good week. Why are you doing this? I'm not trying to depress us, but I am saying this because this is the reality that you and I live in. What makes this even more challenging is that oftentimes when we suffer and when we are in the midst of, as we'll talk about, the evil day, oftentimes that is not the time or the best time to pull out a, suffering, a, a sermon on suffering. Where it's like, hey, let me t- you've just lost a loved one. Let me give you five reasons why this has happened to you. That's, that's just not ever helpful, right? This means then that all of us need to be prepared as best as we can with biblical foundations before we enter into that suffering. I, I don't know if you've felt this tension in the midst of this series, um, that, that there's not been a lot of like challenge or like go out and do this or, or go out and uh, live in this different type of way. But I think it's really important because a crucial part of your discipleship, of my discipleship, is that we might have our minds and then our hearts rightly formed and shaped by God's word to understand, to prepare for, and view our trials through the lens of scripture, through a gospel-centered lens. Uh, Nothing can really prepare us in, in full for the shock of suffering when it hits. But I am hopeful that in the midst of your evil day, if you feel like that's right now, that you might be reminded of hope this morning. But for the rest of us, again, if you feel like, man, I had a pretty good week, this is kind of a bummer that we're talking about this, uh, that, that you might be prepared for when your day comes and that you might have some tools in your tool belt uh, to, to be able to navigate that day to give us a rock-solid foundation to stand on when, as we sang, the, the sea rages in our lives. So, you guys okay? Excellent. Job chapter 1. Um, I, I want to give us one core truth and then see three uh, responses to this evil day, three reflexes that you and I ought to have. But before I do, I, I want to give you about 30 seconds to just um, go before the Lord and, and in light of what I've just shared, to ask him to speak to you this morning, okay? Let's, let's do that together.
So Father, this morning, would you, would you help us? We need you. We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Uh, pa- Pastor John has talked about in this, uh, the slide behind me de- depicts well that there's this kind of mysterious overlap. And so even as I say uh, the evil day, perhaps you're wondering, well, what's the difference between the evil day and, and testing and the quadrant of testing? I-, I think what distinguishes the evil day is both the severity of what one goes through and also the duration of it. See, when you walk through the evil day, it marks you. And and even, it's not just the marking of while you're in it, but 20, 30, 40 years. It's it's like a, a scar that, yeah, there's been healing, but you can still see where the incision or where the, the wound once was. And so I, I'm driving into work today and I look down at my gas tank. I've got two miles, okay? And so uh, if I would have ran out of gas on the way here, that would have been a trial. And I would, uh, would have been my own dumbness, but also would have been frustrating and a trial. That's different, right, than, than cancer, right? Th- those are two different types of trials. And so... Um, Though the Lord uses all of that, the, the evil day is, is closer to something that, that marks us. And that in some ways, I, I don't know if we ever move beyond. See, the book of Job finds itself situated in the uh, section of the Old Testament known as the wisdom literature, where we find the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, um, But what's fascinating, and this is totally intentional, is that Ecclesiastes and Job are really proving the same point from a different lens. If you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, in that you read about this man named Solomon who who stopped at nothing to find something of meaning, of worth, to find meaning under the sun. So he pursued wealth and and riches and all of these different things. And he came to the end of it and he amassed tons of stuff. But he comes to the end of it and he goes, it's all meaningless without God. Job does something different. See, Job has everything. But as we'll see, he loses everything. And he comes to the end for him. And he finds out that God is enough. And so here's the core truth that you and I need to know in the midst of our evil day and that we learn through the life of Job. It's this. Suffering is to be expected. And God is enough. Not but, and God is enough. Job lives our greatest fears, and he comes through the other side and says, God is enough. And believer in Jesus, your suffering, in the midst of that, it will not be the end of your story, and God will be enough. So Job chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll kind of just work through uh, the bulk of this chapter and and, uh, bop around throughout the rest of our time. So Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. 
Okay, so quick, quick pause. Uh, right out of the gate, what we learn about Job is that he's a good man. He's got a good reputation. His reverence for God governs all that he does. And I think this is why it's important that this is its own quadrant, if you will, because this type of trial enters into Job's life and it's not tied to a sin issue. It's not tied to a pruning or a discipline issue because he's a good man in every sense of the word. There's no outstanding faults or debts to be paid. Now, if, if you're new to Christianity or if you've been trying to explore Christianity, then one of the questions you should be asking is how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And, and I just want you to like see how relevant God's word is here because that's exactly what we have about to unfold. Job's a good man but he's about to go through bad things. Now, it is worthwhile to note, though, that uh, in the New Testament uh, and, and throughout, really, the scriptures, we'll, we'll see that apart from God, there, there's not a single one of us who actually are good, that every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. Sin is the reason that you and I need a savior. And yet... As a God follower, Job is a good man, and he's about to walk through a whole lot of bad. So we'll skip these next couple of verses, but basically he's got uh, 10 kids, quite a few animals. In other words, a lot of wealth, a lot of prosperity. Uh, And so let's jump down to verse 6 and read this next section. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Okay, quick pause. You you see what's happening here, right? This is like you own a jewelry store, you're there late at night, and then a a, a robber enters into this jewelry store, and you as the owner goes, hey, you know where my most valuable diamond is? Right up there, okay? So be sure you you paying attention to that one. That's what we have uh, here. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him, his whole household, and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything that he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, I just don't want us to miss what's happening here. Satan, basically in this dialogue with God, goes, well, of course Job loves you. 
you've given him everything. Like you've given him nothing but blessings, children, economic prosperity, social influence, power. Like you have given him everything. Of course he loves you. Take his stuff. Then he'll curse you. Because he doesn't really love you for you. He loves you for what you've given. And God says, okay, just don't touch him. Verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabaeans, an enemy people, attacked and they made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. They swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job's business, his economic prosperity, his wealth, gone. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Job's 10 children in a horrific tragedy, all gone. At this, Job got up, he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's a bad day, right? Like that's a a rough 24 hours. And it's a, it's a shocking and it's a stunning chapter to us, but we see something profound in the life of Job because I think if, if we are to be disciples of Jesus, if we are to really follow Jesus, Job's response is what you and I should want. It's how we should also want to respond in our evil day, to go through this type of loss and tragedy, and respond in a way that's marked by worship. So how do we do that? What is Job tapped into here? And and there's three reflexes or responses that we need to see through the life of Job. The first is this. We need to be careful to avoid simplistic answers. See, when the evil day comes, we, we need to be careful to not necessarily give a simplistic answer. Like, do, do you know what I mean by that? that? That we need to be careful that when suffering happens in our lives and in the lives of those around us, to not say something like, see, what you're going through here is directly because of this. 
And again, I, I think one of the things, like, if you walk in and, and you feel like, well, I'm not really in the evil day, th- this is instructive for us because maybe you feel like you're just interacting with people who are walking through a lot of difficulty. And if you are, th- then there's some responses that, that you and I need to make sure that we avoid. Now, now, to be really clear, who comes up with this whole thing? Is God the one who comes up with the idea? No. Satan does, right? God offers Job as a viable option. But Satan is the one who shows up. That's important for us because God is not the author of evil. He hates evil and wickedness and he's against it. But... He permits it in our lives in such a way that we can even see the tragedies in our lives as from his hand. God hates your suffering. But again, he permits it only to the degree that he defeats Satan's intention of it. Satan means to wipe out Job here. But God's not going to let that happen. God did not create disease. He did not create disaster. And I know that puts our minds right in a bit of a mind pretzel because he is also totally sovereign and in control over it. But we need to be careful to to not think that, that God is just aloof or somehow indifferent to your grief. He's not. And he hates it again so much that he's willing to enter into it, as we'll see. But when this type of satanic evil enters into our lives, we need to be careful to not give simplistic answers. There will be times where our suffering, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we think, no matter how much we ask others, it will not be immediately clear why we are walking through what we are. And if we're to keep reading through the whole book of Job, we'll find some flaws in the response of Job's wife and also of Job's friends. If you're familiar with the book of Job, then Job's friends often get a bad rap, right? They do say some unhelpful things. We'll talk about it. But I also, like, they sit and weep with Job for seven days in a row. They just sit in silence with him. So before we're too hard, like, I've never done that. So before we're too hard on them, um, when, when others and us, when we face tragedy, we, we ought to be careful and slow to speak. See, one of the flaws that we can buy into is the flaw that Job's wife buys into. Call, call it the, the cynical answer, if you will. Fast forward a few verses and here's her encouragement to her husband in chapter two. Are you still holding on to God? Curse him. And die. In other words, all of this is just meaningless. It's random. There, there is not a God up there, and if He is, He's clearly indifferent towards us or incompetent. That, that's the first. We, we want to be careful that we don't do that, right? The cynical response. The, the second response we see is call it the moralist response. I think this is one of the most widely believed ideas about suffering, uh, even amongst Christians. See, what Job's friends, eventually where they go wrong, is this idea. 
in chapter 4, in chapter 7, in chapter 8, they all say something along the lines of, well, Job, you're going through this, and because you're going through this, you must have done something wrong. It's this kind of insidious idea that God doesn't really do this to people who are really following him. But then to to bring this home to you and I, I think uh, one of the things and and responses we need to be careful with is just cliche responses. We're, We're grasping, and I get it, we're grasping to comfort ourselves, to comfort others. And so sometimes what happens is, is we try to say something like, you know what? God gives his battles to his fiercest warriors. It's like, no, no, like, no, he doesn't. Like suffering just happens, right? Like, uh, then I think one of the things that especially students, um, that's just kind of rampant in our culture right now is this idea that, that you are enough, And so in the midst of your suffering, you just believe that you are enough. You just believe that you are strong enough. But the problem with that is is I think if you're really honest with yourself, you know that you're not enough. And so it just puts this like massive burden on you to bear that you've got to figure this out, that you are enough and you can do it. The, the whole of scripture will say, you're actually not enough, but the triune God is enough. If you want to, uh, if you're, that, that offends you slightly, you can send that email to john at westbridgedanville.com. Um, so, so here's what's striking about, I'm just kidding, you can send it to me, it's fine, uh, about Job's suffering. If you were to fast forward and read towards the end of the book, Job 38 through 42 Job never finds out about this conversation between God and Satan. He has no idea why he is suffering. And even at the end, God's response kind of can rub us wrong sometimes. Because God's not like, Job, hey man, give me a hug. I know, I know it's been really hard for you. He's just like, hey Job, I'm God. And I know what I'm doing. There will be trials in your life that are completely and totally unexplainable. And that there may not be a clear why behind it. But suffering is to be expected. And he will be enough for you. So we want to be careful to avoid a simplistic answer. The second thing we need to do is we need to embrace his sovereignty. Like as as we read through that passage... There, there's not a question of who's in charge, right? It, it's, it's very clear that God is the one on top. And Job is tapped into something profound. And it's why he says what he does in verse 21. And then again in chapter two, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. <clears throat> How can he say that? Like Abby and I, like we're, we're not, we have lost. Six years ago, Abby's mom died of pancreatic cancer. We have had grief in relationships. We have had hardships in health. How does Job respond like this in the midst of this tragedy? And I think it's because of what Job has tapped into that we see in James chapter five. 
This struck me this week. Uh, there is only one place in the whole New Testament that Job is mentioned. One place. And it's entirely intentional. At the end of James in chapter 5, James says this, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance or his steadfastness. And you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Maybe your version says the purpose of the Lord. Like purposeful suffering, compassion, and mercy. Friends, Job's response is only because he's tapped into this. That God is doing something purposeful in the midst of his tragedy. And to take it even a step further, that it's compassionate and merciful. This is how we embrace the sovereignty of God. We remind ourselves and preach to ourselves that if we are in Christ, all of the tragedy is ultimately somehow working for our good. And this is not an easy truth. But anything that spurs us on to loving God more, even by way of pain, even by way of loss, is ultimately a win. If everything is taken from you and from I, we're left with this question that Job has to wrestle with. Will you continue to worship him or not? Sometimes he lets us face the unexplainable things because he's rooting out of us something that's inside us that that may kill us. Uh, uh, A few months ago, our our two-year-old Ada, she got a splinter in her foot, and this was not just an ordinary splinter, and uh, she is full of emotion. Uh, And and I don't mean that negatively, always, but uh, this was not a real happy experience for her, right? That splinter was in there deep, but as a good mom and dad have to do, we've got to take that sucker out of there, right? Because we know something that she may not and does not. That if we don't remove this, then that could lead to an infection. It could lead to something and a greater problem than there once was. And so, man, we we had to do some digging. And when God does digging, it's painful. But it is ultimately because he's rooting out of us something that would cause greater pain. Friends, part of embracing God's sovereignty, though, involves being honest with your emotions. Like, like I want you to feel this. You, you saw Job's response, right? Like, he's shaving his head. That's just a cultural thing of, like, mourning. And he's tearing his clothes. Like, if Job's in your small group this week, you're uncomfortable by him, right? If he's in your small group, you're just like, hey, are you, are you okay, man? Uh, Because Job's doing, like he's not masking his emotions. He's not suppressing them. He's being honest with them. And so sometimes worship to the Lord looks like glad hearts and singing and smiles. And sometimes worship unto the Lord looks like tears in our eyes, hands over our mouth, because we don't have a clue how this is gonna work out. But we know that he's working for our good. And the third and final thing that we see, once again, right from James 5, 
is that we need to remain steadfast until the end, to persevere until the end. I just want to read James 5 one more time. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's steadfastness, his perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Friends, I I know that if you are in the midst of your evil day, that nothing that I've said this morning necessarily makes that easier or better. And some of you, you, you feel like you're just hanging on by a thread. But this is why the story of Job is so helpful for us because it's unlikely that you and I will suffer to the degree that Job suffers with. And oftentimes we, we want our relationship with God to be like ibuprofen. We want it to numb the pain. But the reality that we see is your relationship with God isn't about numbing the pain, but about living with God in the midst of your pain. To trust him even in the unknown. See, we know how Job ends. We know the end of the story. Job doesn't, but he presses on. And so let let me say this with all the assurance that I know how to. If you have trusted and you've believed in Jesus, like some of you, you feel like the hardship that you're walking through right now is a punishment from God. And it's not. Romans 8, 1 would say that all of the condemnation, there isn't any of it because of what Christ has done. Your sin has been forgiven and you're not being punished. And so what's the reminder that we need in the midst of our evil day? That the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Because there's that little question that looms in our hearts and in our minds of, does God, does he really love me? Because it feels like if he did, he wouldn't be letting me walk through what I'm going to, through. See, the story of Job, though, points us to some, something profound, that, that centuries later, there would be another innocent sufferer who would be assaulted by Satan, who would be without clothes and in his final moments crying out, my God, my God, why? See, when Job suffered, he was only relatively innocent, but Jesus was perfectly innocent totally without sin. And yet he enters into our humanity because God hates the evil and suffering in your lives so much that he was willing to get involved with it. The one who suffered and would eventually die is proof positive that God really loves you. Jesus suffered not so that you and I wouldn't suffer, but so that when we do, we would become like him in one day, just as Wes said, that all that has gone wrong would be made right. Perhaps you know how the story of Job ends, that, that God shows up and basically like, hey, I know what I'm doing. Job's like, okay, got it. God blesses him then with two times everything that he had at the start in chapter one. But that's not actually the good news of Job. 
The, the good news of Job is that God is enough. And in your darkest hour and in your deepest hurt and in your greatest pain, that he will see you through. So when the evil day comes, it's to be expected. God will be enough. And we want to be sure we, we don't give, we, we avoid simplistic answers, that we embrace God's sovereignty, and we remain steadfast in relationship with him. We don't always see the full picture. Imagine trying to explain a, a movie, like three seconds of a movie that's three hours long. Imagine how difficult that would be because we don't know the whole story. Job doesn't know all that God is doing, but he knows that God is of greatest value. And it's for that reason that he can say that the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. Perhaps you have a pessimistic bend like I do. Um, and, and you're like, okay, cool. So I'm not in the evil day right now. So do I just sit and wait? for tragedy to unfold in my life? No. We, like, it, it, doesn't this bring greater word, uh, like comfort to the words of Jesus that, that he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. My peace is what I leave with you. And so we embrace his sovereignty and we remain steadfast knowing that somehow he's going to turn it for our good. The song that we're going to close with gets at that very truth. And I've just been praying that this song would really land on our hearts and in our minds and really sink deep knowing that God will take all things and turn them for our good. Let's pray. If you would, go, bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Um, nothing weird's about to happen. Uh, but, but I want to give you some space to, to maybe own something uh, before the Lord that maybe you haven't yet. If you feel like you're just like barely hanging on by a thread, you feel like you're just out of gas and like this season, it, it's not what Job went through, but it certainly feels like it's not letting up. Um, would you just raise your hand? Praise God, there's hands all over the room. One of the things, you can put your hands down, in the midst of the evil day is that it feels like we're alone. And so part of why I think this helps us is because we, we realize that we aren't alone. You are not alone in your suffering. And so at the end of this service, we're, we're going to have a, a few people up front to be able to just pray. And I just want to ask you uh, that you would have courage if you raised your hand. Man, and if you feel like you are alone, that you would come forward and, and just, man, we, we just want to pray with you and we want to weep with you. We want to be the, the tangible presence of God in your lives. And so let, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll close. God, we do ask. And we, we know that you are working and are waiting and you are doing something good. Would you help us know that not just in our heads, but in our hearts? In Jesus' beautiful name.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to talk with someone about today's message, you can contact us through our website, westbridgedanville.com. And we'd love to help you take your next step in your walk with Jesus.